a freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Huard. And Brooke Huard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Huard and Mike Salk. I have in my hands here, Brock. More printed it out for me. Todd McShay's mock draft. What? I have in my hands. Was that today? Yes. Where were you? I don't know. Where were you? This is usually your thing. What have I been doing? I miss Full Swing. I miss Colton Wong. I miss Todd McShay's mock. Yeah. Now, it's been printed out in like seven fonts. I know there's a snowstorm there, but I feel like you have the internet, don't you? I've got my my readers on so I can help you with this. Great. Yep. At number one, after trading up. Yes. The Indianapolis Colts. Select Bryce Young. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. At number two. By the way, did you hear Jim Mercer yesterday? Yeah, he's nuts. Oh, my gosh. At number two, the Houston Texans select? C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud, quarterback, okay. Ohio State. All right, I'm kind of feeling this. All right. At number three. Yes. The Arizona Cardinals. Yep. Select Will Anderson. <sighs> out of Alabama. That's no fun. At number four, after oh, trading no. back, the Chicago Bears select Jalen Carter. Oh. I know. Disaster ah. scenario. And at number five, the Seahawks, of course, like all these other mock drafts, select Tyree. Tyree Wilson. Yeah. yeah. At number 20, by the way, he has them taking Brian Branch, safety out of Alabama. Oh, he's a good player. I'm sure he is, but they take a safety at number 20, and I got to tell you, I'm not, I'm not going to be happy about no, that at all. No. Um, so there you go. That is uh, the new mock draft from Todd McShay. Yep. Um, we're going to talk to Matt Miller, who's another uh, mock draft expert from ESPN on Tuesday. Looking forward to that. So that's one way this can go. Here's another. Eric Edholm uh, yesterday on the on the station said this. There will be some trade activity. So, you know, it, it, if, let's say, you know, the, the, the Colts at four – you know, you want to jump ahead of them. You know they're going to draft a quarterback, and they can't work out a deal. All of a sudden, the number three picks in in play, and you know maybe Arizona trades down with the same hopes. We'll get we'll get one of these defensive guys a little bit lower. Carolina at nine may want to move up. You know, even if it looks on the surface like a quarterback class with some question marks, at more years than not, that's the case anyway. And by eight, by the time April rolls around. You know, last year was an exception with Kenny Pickett, the only first-rounder. But most years, we're going to see multiple first-rounders. We're going to see them get pushed up the board once the dust of free agency has settled. Mm. I mean, that would be a lot better, right? Uh, that would be uh, a lot better. You need disruption to the market. So Mel and Todd, 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 Mel, Mel. And then there's a, a bit of a cutdown. As we sit here, by the I way. Was freaking as... out on the last game of the season when Indianapolis yep. ended up losing that game to Houston because it just it was an absolute killer for the Seahawks to fall out of the top four. The top four guaranteed you either one of the two great defensive players or maybe in some weird world, Bryce Young, or at the very least being able to trade out of that pick mm-hmm. and get a lot more for it. Instead, yep. you end up just after that. Great in the next couple of months. That could be Will Levis. It could be Richardson. But if one of those two guys shows mm-hmm. up to the combine, I mean, mm-hmm. couldn't Richardson just completely blow away the combine? Yes. 
Yeah, and I was looking at some uh, some grainy Sasquatch footage of him throwing a, a, on a ball field because that's kind of what starts to happen I now saw that the season yesterday. ends. Did you see that too? I did. Where he threw it like 70 yards yeah. without even like My shuffling. Vince Murata was tweeting that stuff. Uh, or Dan Bickley was. Bickley was, yep. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's traitsy. Levis is traitsy. You know, we're going to see this between now and April. And I bet you if we went back to Mel Kuyper and Tom McShay's first mock drafts over the last 10 years and looked at the top five picks. We already did this with Mel mm-hmm. last year to this year, and it changed significantly. I mean, two to three guys changes significantly. It was Thibodeau. Oh, last season, throughout the season, after the season. Okay, oh, on Thibodeau. Oh, mm-hmm. absolute monster. He may go number one. I mean, he is, he's, he's no, different. He was going to go number one. It was, yeah. an, it was an absolute. It was, it was done deal. And then all of a sudden, well, so much. A little stiff. All of a sudden, uh, maybe didn't test quite as as what remarkably. Did he go four, five, something like that. When it was all said, he done? went to the Giants. And I know. Been outside six? the top five, six. Yeah. He was outside the top five. Yeah. So it can Bryce, y- Bryce Young is going to go to the combine, and I was I was listening to some people just yesterday, and I was looking at some pictures, and they list him at six foot and like one ninety. <laughs> And they're like, uh, he takes his helmet off, and I'm six foot. This is a, a media guy. So I'm six foot. Look at this picture of me and Bryce Young after the game. Mm. He's not six foot. He's probably not going to be 5'10 and 5'8s. And unlike Russell and Kyler and Baker, he's not He's not thick. He's not strong. like the, And those guys have kind of fallen off the cliff, as we talked about in season. Kyler Murray's and the Baker's yeah. and the Russell's. All of a sudden, boy, maybe some of that size and the Joe Burrows Starting and the Josh out, Allen. they figured and, out how to deal with it a little bit. Yeah, maybe. So, it's, so if yep. all those things happen, great. Maybe maybe the right guy falls to you, and somehow you end up with, with one of those two defensive players. If not, the world seems fairly convinced that Tyree Wilson goes next. And Ed Holm, again, on with Bump and Stacy yesterday, had some nice things to say about him. And I would say among the senior prospects who... Coming into the season, I would say he would have been among the highest graded. It's a little bit of a surprise he didn't come out. There was still plenty of stuff he could have worked on. He can be a little bit stiff at times, but you just don't draw him up too much better than 6'6", 275 pounds, massive wingspan, some pass rush ability, some some edge setting ability. You know, he can he can take on those blocks and, and shed them and dispatch guys pretty easily, I would say. Could still get stronger, too, which is incredible. He's a big kid, but I think there's even still some strength and athletic development that could happen. Yeah, so what you're going to look at with Tyree Wilson, we're a couple weeks away, and obviously we probably enjoy the combine more than anybody else does, at least I do, and you're going to want to see his bench press. How many times does he rep 225? You're going to want to see his broad jump. How stiff is he? Can he get down and actually broad jump, or is he a pretty tightly bound guy? You're obviously, and his medicals are going to be enormous. You know, missed second half of the season and a screw put in his foot with a fracture. Those things those things can be a little scary sometimes, um, you know, because you just don't know about the healing, and when you're that size and you have that much weight on that body, you know, how does that foot hold up? So there's some questions there. Now, here's the one thing we have not yet said. Because it would be so outside the realm of John Schneider, who, by the way, joins Bob and Wyman four o'clock today. Well, tomorrow. what if Mike? What if uh, tomorrow? Excuse me. What if Salk, instead of trading down, six trade up? What if you know they've got five and twenty, and all of a sudden they've got the second most valuable draft capital on the board going into the draft? The Texans are ahead of them, mm-hmm. uh, but they're, they're number two. And what if? Okay. Five and twenty. You you have holes, you know, Chicago, you have you have holes. You guys you guys need some some serious stuff. Here's five and twenty. 
to go up a spot. Mm-hmm. If Jalen Carter or, you know, if you want to go up and you love Will, if they are an absolute. So what you're they, saying is if Chicago trades back to four, would they then trade with them to get up to four? That's right. You have to give yeah. up your number 20 pick to do that? I, I don't know. Don't know. But if you think. If you think that Will Anderson or Jalen Carter is Aaron Donald, mm-hmm. you absolutely go up and do that. Mm-hmm. If you believe that they are that kind of a difference maker, that kind, if you think they are Bosa, right, that you've got to deal with on every single play, as Pete said to us on that Monday that followed the season loss, like, this guy is a nuisance and a disruption, and we pray and thank God when he's off the field. If you think Will or Jalen are one of those guys, you've got the capital to go up. Well, it should not cost you that much. I mean, just looking at one chart here, the difference between four and five is 100 points, which is like a third-round pick. Okay. So in theory, if you're going by the chart, but yep. that that's only in theory because, you know, that's a, when there's actual people involved, right. they don't necessarily need to follow that, that exact chart. Yes. So that's one that I was looking at. I'm looking at another one here. The difference between four and five here is, is like 30-something, which would again be, yep. yeah, a third-round pick. Yep. Yeah, so it would be a third-rounder. How about theory, two and five? How about to get ahead of Arizona taking one of those defensive monsters? Now, that starts to get a little bit bigger, depending. Yep. Again, there's a bunch of these different uh, different ones. I'm just happening to be looking at one. To get up to two, yep. that's a lot. If yep. you want to get to two, that is, in this chart here, a like a thousand difference. Okay. You don't even have enough to do it. Okay. Like even your second round, even your other first round pick wouldn't be enough. To get up to two. All right. Right. I mean, one and two, really one, two, and three have such extreme value that at four and five, it starts to fall. But again, that's that's in general. It, it doesn't matter if the Bears decide this is the guy we want or the Colts or whatever. Yep. It doesn't matter what the chart says. They say, that's sorry, right. we're going to draft this dude. That's right. Right? Unless yep. you blow us away. Well, we're not going to give you first round pick. Okay. Sorry. Right. So value doesn't always cut it. All right. Uh, Let's see. We are going to talk some more baseball coming up here in a few minutes. Uh, Dave Schoenfeld is going to join us. He said the Mariners uh, had a good, not great off season, but I got a question. I got to ask him about it. We'll do that coming up in 20 after need to know next Brock and Salk sales sports on 710 salesports.com. Need to know 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, it is finally here. The big milestone pitchers and catchers report every year. You hold that date in mind, and today is the day. They have to be in Peoria for full workouts, which actually start tomorrow. Great day for the Mariners. Again, a team built around their pitchers and catchers, and specifically that starting rotation that's going to see Luis Castillo here for the first time in the spring. I'm looking forward to that. David Schoenfeld is going to join us here in about 15 minutes. He graded their offseason to B minus. So saying, look, they didn't get one of the big ticket items, but they did upgrade by roughly three wins. And then they added in Castillo for a full year of growth. Some of their young players. I I think the Castillo thing is a good point. Jerry's the one who keeps referencing that. The question I'm going to ask David Schoenfeld is if they had acquired Luis Castillo in the offseason instead of July, what would you have graded their offseason? Because I do think that is part of it. And while they did have him for the playoffs last year, they only had him for like two months. It's not like he was a huge part of their whole season. No, and I've seen some uh, some blowback on the old text toy here saying, "Now oh, stop it. These guys have been here. Yeah, they have been. 
And it's pretty neat that a bunch of these pitchers and catchers have already po- reported. Mm-hmm. But yesterday was the day the Luis Castillo, or today, comes into town. I, I saw a picture of him, by the way. Mm. I shot you that little picture of I Luis. Know. We're not going to talk about that. Well, you use his spring training mic to get himself into shape. I hope okay, so. Luis is not going to be on any Buff Dude report. That is his fi- that's just fine. He is on the Chev report, and that's where he belongs. Absolutely. Here's the second thing you need to know. Action day in the NFL. Raiders finally did make it official with Derek Carr. He is now a free agent, and they get nothing for him. That really is crazy. I mean, he leveraged that thing perfectly with that $40 million bonus, etc. Just a vast difference between what John Schneider did and what happened in Mm. Vegas. So he is the first to hit what Andrew Brandt says is a quarterback market unlike he's ever seen. You know, one of these quarterbacks in this market, I've never seen a market like this. In other words, usually the only people on the market for quarterbacks are people that know what he wants. You know, it's going to be the sort of backups, the Tyrod Taylors, the guys that are going to be placeholders for the rookies coming in. And now you've got this big group. So where is Carr going to go? Where's Rodgers going to go? Where's Garoppolo going to go? Where is Gino going to go? Where's Daniel Jones going to go? What about some of these other guys? So I think the easiest answers are Gino Smith stays, Daniel Jones stays, and then we'll go through some others. Can we figure out why? Eventually, and not a need to know, but can we figure out why? Maybe tomorrow. Can we figure out why this market for the quarterbacks? We've seen it a change in over the years. right? We've seen guys move. It used to be 10 years ago. These guys never left. Franchise quarterbacks you could never get. Look at this market. You have top end of the market. You have Aaron Rodgers and the Derek Cars. You have mid-pack, mid-level guys like Geno and Jimmy Garoppolo. You do have backups like Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. And, oh, by the way, you do have a rookie class that for sure has two bona fide franchise guys. Mm-hmm. May have two more over the next couple months ahead. It is as deepest. It is the deepest. And as Andrew Brent's Brant said, just one of the strangest, most diverse QB markets we've ever seen. Here's the third thing you need to know. I got something in common with the Seattle Kraken, Brock. We both hate the shootout. At least I know I do because I just would be perfectly fine with them ending that game in a tie. And they just are very bad at it. That is their uh, third shootout of the year, and they've lost all three. Didn't even put either puck in the net. It was just kind of a mess. They played the Jets to a 2-2 draw. Through 65 minutes, they did not look good at all early. Got down one nothing. John Hayden with a goal. Lexiak, a quick up. Morgan Geeky collects it. Out in front, they score on his birthday. That's hockey, baby. John Hayden. There was a lot of excitement on the broadcast about his birthday yesterday. I kind of like his game, though. He came in for Sprong. Sprong was a healthy scratch yesterday. He's kind of gritty, good fourth-line forward. I don't know. I'm kind of a... Kind of a little John Hayden fan. Anyway, uh, they go 1-3-1 and one on the trip. Not very good. They were generally outplayed in all the games except one. I mean, it's not like they played well and lost. They didn't play great. They're not scoring very much. Their power play is anemic. And they better hope they get this thing right as they come home for a rematch with Philly tomorrow night. Yeah, and we kind of thought, well, they get to come home the last time around. Well, they came home and did not play great hockey going into the break. They salvaged one game out of it. They come out of the break and thought, well, remember the last time, that eight-game historic road trip? Yeah, not so much. No, this was not that. This was 1-3-1, one, and one, and now they find themselves in the middle of the pack of the Pacific Division. All right, well, Tiger Woods uh, is uh, taking a practice round today ahead of the Genesis Invitational tomorrow in L.A., so another elevated event. So this, the field's crazy. I mean, it looks like a major. It's basically the same as it was last week. Um, but Tiger's going to play. Says he's feeling pretty good. The recovery is more on my, my ankle. Uh, whether I can recover from day to day, 
the leg is better than it was last year, uh, but it's it's my ankle, and so being able to uh, have it recover from day to day, and, and meanwhile still stress it, but have the recovery and also have the strength development at the same time. Uh, it's been a, a intricate little balance that we've had to dance, um, but it's gotten so much better uh, the last couple months, and uh, I'm excited to go out there and compete and play with these guys. There's some other great sound. I was listening to him last night. He was asked about being an ambassador and does he want to play in 50 matches? I know. No, not going to do any with Arnie and Jack. It's just not the way I'm wired. Like, if I can't compete to win. Right. Not who and, it, and it wasn't even this, like, so, sometimes that sound annoys me. And sometimes, like, oh, I'm so competitive. I'm such a battler. I'm so, but you hear it from him as thoughtful as he was. It's like, just not the way that I'm wired. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm going to play, I'm going to play to win. And if I can't win and I can't compete, then I probably won't be playing. And you're not going to see me playing into you know the late stages like Jack and Arnie and those guys, Gary, those guys did because that's just not the way that I'm Well, he's built. already done his contribution to the game. Do you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't need to do that to grow the game. He did it already. Yeah. He grew the game more than anybody in what he did during his prime. I don't think he owes the sport of golf that, but it is crazy. He tees it up tomorrow, and as somebody who watches more golf channel than I should admit, <laughs> they're breathless. Yes. Why, like, <gasps> Tiger! I mean, they're like Will Ferrell yelling about Santa and Elf. I mean, every time Tiger does anything, they couldn't be more excited. Like, oh, my God, relax. He hadn't even finished the tournament in forever. (laughs) It's everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour. And, yes, full swing, for those of you golf fans, does come out today on Netflix. Uh, I am leaving. What time are we done here? 9.55? I'll be home by 10.01, and uh, I would say I'll have Netflix up and going by 10.02. Nice. Pretty, pretty excited. Mariners got a B-minus from David Schoenfeld for their offseason. I got a question for him, and I'm excited to ask him about it next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, salesports.com. This this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, I should warn you, we've rescheduled with Colton Wong. Uh, He's supposed to join us now an hour from now, so we'll see. Hopefully that uh, happens and we're able to talk to the new Mariner second baseman and kind of see what he's all about. I think you're going to like him, Brock. He's supposed to be a really interesting guy, good talker. You, you've you always had good success connecting with the guys from Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Probably oh, dating back oh, to your college sure. days, right? Yeah, from the windward to the leeward side, for right. sure. Uh-huh. Grandma's in the kitchen making poi real good. I love that. Song. Right. So but I, I'm not going to bring up any of that with him. No, not, but I would imagine the there'll be a good out. connection. Generally, you do well with, uh, with the coach's guys, son, so. too, right? Coach's son. Yeah. Baseball. Uh, his uh, dad was a baseball coach. So like yeah, I could see you, uh, you and Colton getting along pretty well. He should join us in about an hour. Right now, though, Dave Schoenfeld uh, from ESPN taking a few minutes with us. Hi, man. How are you? Uh, good. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Uh, and, and he's probably, Colton Wong's probably a good kind of intro to this. You wrote yesterday about uh, about the uh, the off season for all 30 teams in baseball. You gave the Mariners a B-. minus. How come? Uh, that seems pretty fair. Hope you guys agree with that. Look, it was... No, I uh, hated it, it Dave! A- <laughs> I hated it! It, it was a... I wrote it was a conservative yet predictable off season. I mean, look, Jerry DePoto... They replaced the guys that were bad last year, you know, Jesse Winker, Adam Frazier, and they brought in guys that were a little better. I guess it doesn't get a higher grade. Obviously, they didn't make that big home run, sexy move that we all want as fans. But 
you know, solid off season. They, they, they repaired their holes and uh, made the team a little better, I think. So let me ask you this. If the Mariners had traded for Luis Castillo in the off season instead of in July, what, yeah. would, what would you have graded their off season? Yeah, that, that moves it up probably to, to an A, right? And that's a great point. If you factor in, even especially signing Castillo to an extension mm-hmm. and signing Julio Rodriguez to that deal, which happened before the season ended. So I didn't factor those two in. We're with other grades of teams sign players in the offseason to extensions. That's part of their offseason. So, yeah, you add in those two deals, absolutely. And that's fair, you know, that to factor in what has Jerry DePoto in the front office done over the last, you know, six months. Absolutely, the team is way better than it was on July 1st last year. You know, I've got a buddy of mine. Uh, we give him a fake name on the radio because he thinks he's my social <laughs> media manager, and he just texted me and said, if you do not put out one of my tweets, I'm going to fire myself and take your account down. And he's wanted me to tweet this repeatedly and put it as a poll question. So I'll ask you, especially because you have the perspective of everything that went around the Mariners in the division. His question is simple, and it's this. Did the Mariners close the gap with the Astros more? Or did the Angels and Rangers close the gap with the Mariners more? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Don't say that. Don't say that's a good question because now he's going to be further empowered. Yeah, I think it's the latter. Although, look, let's factor in this. The Angels, they made a lot of secondary-type moves. They didn't make any big moves either. And let's be honest, whatever the Angels do over the last 10 years hasn't worked. But on paper – they look better, but nothing they do ever seems to work. The Rangers are really fascinating. You know, their offense was pretty good last year. Now they added all this pitching, although all of these, all the pitchers they added, Jacob DeGrom and Nathan Navaldi and Andrew Haney, these guys were all injured at times last year. So it's a high risk, high reward situation for Texas could work out, you know, but also they lost what 94 games. They got a lot of ground to make up. The Astros clearly stepped back a little. I mean, you don't just lose Justin Verlander. You know, guy won the Cy Young Award. So they're going to lose some ground there, but they still have their core. They still have every other pitcher on that staff. So, yeah, to me, Houston is still the favorite. Mariners picked up a little ground, but in my book, probably not enough. But, hey, let's play the season. Well, yeah, and obviously health is going to play into it and, you know, growth for some of their young guys. Um, what do you make of the Mariners rotation? I was a little surprised kind of looking through some of these ESPN projections over the course of the last few weeks. Uh, and, and they had the Mariners with the number seven. Now this was park adjusted, but still the number or, or maybe it was park neutral, excuse me, but it was the number seven lineup, but the number 18 pitching rotation, it was, it, it felt like exactly the opposite of what we all kind of believe about this team here in Seattle. Yeah, it's that's kind of the sneaky part about that's difficult in evaluating the Mariners. Obviously, um, what is it now? AT&T Park, T-Mobile Park. Guck, sorry, sorry, T-Mobile people. <laughs> um, it's a pitcher's park, and it does affect you know analytically how you evaluate that that team. And I get it. We look at the Mariners and the lineup uh, doesn't look like it's quite, you know, world series caliber. The rotation looks great. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I still think the pitching on paper looks better than better than the lineup, but yeah, when you go through the metrics, 
they're pretty even in the lineup, even last year with some of the holes was really park adjusted better than we realized. That being said, I think the rotation is going to be better to me. George Kirby, you know, we saw what it is a rookie. I better in the second half last year, he's made some adjustments on his slider. There's a great article the other day on lookout landing blog that I recommend, you know, that really dug into Kirby. I think he's going to have a, just a total breakout year and be an all-star caliber pitcher. Well, that guy who had the breakout year a season ago that, uh, well, was vying for a spot on the roster even coming out of camp was a guy by the name of Julio Rodriguez. And yeah. then all of a sudden, <laughs> by the Midsummer Classic, uh, that name was known around the country, especially after that night at the Home Run Derby. How big a Q rating can he grow this year? It's enormous in this market, as you can imagine, right? There's a lot of comps to the former center fielder that's in the Hall of Fame and everything else. But from a national level, how big a star can Julio Rodriguez become? He's huge. Look, uh, he's already right up there. I noticed the top baseball people just made. I know Julio didn't get the cover of the uh, video game, but he's he's on the box cover of top baseball cards this year. So that tells you what kind of national cachet he has like to me people across the sport we love the young superstars right and that's what julio is right now but if you look at the biggest names in the sport yeah shohei otani's number one but julio he's right there you know young great he plays with uh, excitement and enthusiasm Uh, believe me people across the nation baseball fans know who this guy is and to me, the big question, we know how great he was last year. Is he ready to sort of put a team on his back now and be that Griffey-type MVP player? Maybe it's a one year too early for that, but I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, I mean, he's sort of shown at every opportunity that there's nothing that's too early for him, right? It just every time yep. you think like, yeah, maybe in a year, it just sort of, oh, nope, he's ready for it right now. So, no, it's a good point. You just you don't know when he's going to be there. Uh, as you look at this team, you know, one of the big reasons that offense was as good as it was last year is just the complete surprise of Eugenio Suarez. Is that repeatable? Yeah, I think that's actually one of the biggest questions around this team because the Reds were happy to dump him, right? Because he struggled so much in 2020 and 2021. You know, who knows if it was a change of scenery thing. You hear, you get some new voices from some new coaches. Um, But yeah, you know, he's got a lot of swing and miss in his game, a lot of strikeouts. So that leads to a lot of volatility in what the batting average, like the power is there, you know, it's a question of if you can hit 30 home runs and hit 190 or hit 30 home runs and hit 230 or 240, whatever he hit last year. Um, it's a little bit of a concern. He'll be fine. I don't know if he'll be quite as great as he was last year. Hey, uh, circling back to that star question, just off the top of your head, who are five, take Julio out of it, who are five or six of the biggest stars in baseball? If you surveyed a, a thousand Major League Baseball fans all around the country, who would be five or six of the biggest stars in the game right now, in your mind? Yeah, that's, that's a fun question. I mean, certainly you start with Otani, you go to Mike Trout, um, even though he hasn't been in the postseason, you know, people still recognize him as one of the best all-around players in the game. I'd throw Mookie Betts in there, um, maybe a couple of the old pitchers, like a Verlander and a Max Scherzer. Then you got the young guys, Julio, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. would be up there. Um, these aren't necessarily the best players, but as far as rec- name recognition, 
you know, those would be some of the guys. Yeah. Bryce Harper. List. Bryce Harper, yeah. Harper, definitely top five. Just since sure. he's been talked about since he was like 12 years old. I mean, he's like. You know, but you know what strikes me about that, and this is what will be interesting with Julio, is he plays, you said it earlier, he has just that charisma. I call it yeah. a childlike joy, right? And, and Griffey had that with the smile and the hat. Now, he wasn't always the most joyful to the media and some of the others that Julio <laughs> is. But, gosh, as you rattle through that list, I, I don't know if there's one that has the joy. Mookie at times does, certainly. And as you get older and you put you know, mileage on, I think it's hard to have that childlike joy. But, holy cow, as you rattle through that list, Julio's got a chance to connect and be that connector, not yeah. only for Topps baseball cards but for the game of baseball, doesn't he? No, it's true, and I always make two comparisons here. Back in the 90s when it was Griffey and Bonds, who was the better player? And if you kind of go through the numbers, Bonds was probably a little better, but at the time it was Griffey, 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 because he had that charisma. Barry Bonds obviously was not well-liked. And even comparing a Mike Trout to a Griffey, kind of the same thing. There's a lot of advantages Mike Trout has statistically over Griffey, but same thing. He doesn't have Griffey's charisma, you know, and that has nothing to do with winning ball games. But as far as that star power, that's important to, to fans. And that's what Julio has. Last thing for me here, Dave, and we're talking to David Schoenfeld from ESPN.com. Uh, what do you think of Jared Kelnick at this stage? <laughs> I'd like to be optimistic. In fact, I just mentioned that lookout landing blog. They had a piece on Kelnick the other day that was, pointing out some positives in his numbers last year. There weren't very many, but the primary takeaway, when he connected, he had a high rate of what we call barrels, and that's one of these advanced metrics of hitting the ball hard and hitting it at the right angle. And they kind of went into this and said he hit into a lot of bad luck, that getting rid of the shift could help him get a few, you know, just cheap singles up the middle kind of thing that – he just hasn't been getting his first two years in the league. Obviously, he's got to cut down on the strikeouts. You know, you can't strike out 33% of the time. He's got to get that down to like 25% to be serviceable. My fear is he just, his pitch recognition is still just so poor. You know, look, he can sit on a fastball and if he gets that fastball and, you know, gets it right, he can crush it. But we all know. Breaking balls are, are his, uh, you know, death potion. So that's the skill level and the talent is there. I just don't know if he has that pitch recognition, and that's just the raw ability to hit. I don't know if it's there. I hope that he's, look, he's still young. He might come around. You know, what's the upside? A 250 hitter, you know, at his, at his peak, you know, he's not going to be a superstar. I just don't think we've seen enough to – project that so at this point you're hoping he's a good solid regular player there you go uh by the way aaron judge we probably got to put him on the list yeah. as well aaron judge that's a good one. yeah i know yeah. as we go through the list yeah there's a few good players out there there's there's <laughs> more than a few baseball's yeah. actually pretty well taken care of right now in terms of really good players this is not you know one of those eras where you go oh god it's too bad there just wasn't much there i mean there's a you go through that list there's seven eight nine ten Pretty legitimate stars in baseball that start to gather some name recognition and, and some Q, Q Yeah, and we didn't even mention anybody on the Padres. You got Juan Soto and Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. Mm-hmm. If he comes back, and yeah. now they got Xander Bogarts. Um, 
yeah, and a lot of these guys are, are still young, you know, the Julios and the Sotos and Ronald Acuna, you know, even Judge is still right in the middle of his prime years. So, yeah, baseball, I think it's in a really good shape as far as star power right now. Well, and we're excited about where it's going here in Seattle. I get the B-, minus, but I, I understand <laughs> Jerry's view, which is, hey, look, we also traded for Luis Castillo, who's only here for a couple of months, yes. and we signed Julio long-term, and they, they view that. And you know what? We can talk about all these big names and big, you know, huge signings that, that didn't come here. And then I read this morning that Trevor Story is going to miss at least half of 2023 and maybe the entire season. And Chris Bryant yeah, has look, done exactly nothing since he signed a exactly. year ago. And, well, and I've been, Yeah, right? Remember, he was the guy Mariner fans wanted yep. last year, and I was like, do not sign this guy. So <laughs> that was a smart move not to sign him. It's a, Look, it's a really tough balancing act for front offices because of all these you know, $300 million deals that were signed this last offseason, yeah, they're going to look really good for two, three, four years. The back ends of most of these deals, even an Aaron Judge, you know, how good is he going to be when he's 38, 39 years old, right? And that, so I get not putting yourself in that kind of boat. At the same time, fans aren't too worried about 2035, right, no, or 2032, no, you know. No. So, and let, let's be honest, also, are the Mariners, are they saving up for Shohei? I don't know. You guys would have a better idea on if that is even affordable, you know. In, they in went the down Seattle that road budget. once. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure Jerry would try to go down it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would answer that by saying, yes, Shohei is affordable because he pays for himself more than any other player in the game. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why yeah. I don't think he, he was ever going to be traded out of Anaheim. He, he pays for himself. I mean, just the business of yep. baseball says that because you can sell unique advertising that is not revenue shared based specifically off him and, and what he brings to, from Japan, he pays for himself right. better than anybody in the game. So, yeah, I you know, he does, you know, and what Mariners, they, I think, you know, they have room, yep. you know, like I wrote guys like Teoscar Hernandez, you know, this is a, he's a one year guy, right? So that'll clear some even more payroll <laughs> for next year. On the other hand, what's Otani going to cost 50, 60 million a year? You sure. know, you're getting two and one. Yep. But uh, good stuff. It's possible. So yeah. Hey, we appreciate it, Dave. Thank, Thank you, Dave. you so much. Good stuff. And uh, you can read David at uh, ESPN dot com and, and read his off season grades for every team. That's a good conversation, Brock. And the show a thing, I'm sure will you know materialize over the course of of the season and whether or not there's any realism there. But even at sixty million, okay. Well, let's say he's a sixty million dollar guy, and for that sixty million, you get two positions, and. Maybe he himself takes care of 20 of the 60 because of what he brings back. I don't have an exact figure for you, but what if you could get a third of that paid for in terms of the revenue that he brings back in? All of a sudden, his real cost is a $20 million pitcher and a $20 million hitter. Okay. Oh, and by the way, you're not even factoring in if, you know, the Mariners continue on this trajectory and you have all these other pieces and he comes in to be the uh, sealant and all of a sudden 40,000 are in there every single weekend. Mm-hmm. And even on April days, instead of 10,000, there's 30,000 because I've got to see this guy and you prime the pump and tell me how many millions of dollars that makes for you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, he does. He, he pays for himself in extraordinary ways. And, and if you're a Mariner fan, you got to hope the angels stink again. You got to hope they continue to be a dysfunctional mess. Their well, owner didn't leave. I'll tell you, you what, they're on their way. They they hired the worst of the thirty managers in baseball, in Phil Nevin. Hmm. Seriously, I, I mean, they hired a guy that I don't think is fit for that job, 
and he was an interim manager and nobody else really seemed to want the gig and Artie wasn't going to be around and he was going to sell the team and they stuck with him and he's going to be their manager again this year. That's not a good thing for them. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. That would uh, that would certainly be uh, very interesting. Hey, you want a deep question? I do. Okay. You like deep questions, I right? I do. Uh, kind of an impossible one to answer, but I think it just kind of fits your eye and my brain a little bit. And that is Jared Kilnick, as he talked about pitch recognition. I wonder how similar or dissimilar pitch recognition and QB processing is. Because when, when I hear, you know, a pitch recognition and I see a kid like this guy, right? And we're going to watch combine and that's going to come up. That's the next, you know, thing other than some of the QB market. That is the big next thing in the NFL. And you're going to see traits mm-hmm. and you're going to see Anthony Richardson. And you just watched him on grainy film like I did yesterday. Throw a football like, oh, my gosh. How did he just do that? I mean, how did he just crank a football 70 yards without even like having to shuffle up in the pocket? Right. You know, and you're going to see Jared Kelnick. You, if you watched him in the weight room, you'd watch him like one leg squat 350 pounds. Watch him in batting practice. You're, you're going to, yeah, see the swing speed and you're going to see the speed to first and you're going to see the power and all the strength. And yet that ability to recognize a pitch. Right into just and, and what is that? And it's the same thing with a QB, mm-hmm. right? You could take these guys. Bryce Young is going to be five ten and one hundred eighty five pounds, and you know he's not going to be jumping out of the gym, and he's not going to be any of these things that Anthony Richardson is. But his ability to see the game, yeah. So I think it's a good process. The game. It's a good question you're asking, Brock. I, I think there's some similarity, but I, I don't know that you can take the metaphor all the way to the end. If that makes sense, yes, there's some similarity. It's it's good to have physical skills, but if you can't put it together with that instant recognition of what's going on around you, that baseball IQ or football IQ uh, at both the quarterback position and as a hitter, you're right. It's going to be really challenging to succeed. A couple of differences, though. One, the, the baseball one is so instant, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not even necessarily learned. It's just instant. Right. Two, um, I think the Kelnick thing at his age, what we've seen so far, would be like taking a high school kid and throwing him out there in, in the NFL kind and saying, of, how quickly can you read this? I, Just I, mentally. I'm not talking about physically, but mentally. I think there's an element of okay, that. Okay, but let me just poo-poo that just quickly because the Sotos, the Acunas, the yeah, Guerreros, right. the, the Ab- Rodriguez are all these high school kids in your comparison that's right. that immediately are, are, are yeah, getting and it. and he's not going to be one of those guys. I think it's safe to say, and you just heard it from David Schoenfeld, he's probably not going to be a superstar. But that doesn't mean he's not going to be a good NFL, a good major league player. There's a big, big gap between you know being a good player and being the bust that everybody thinks he, he is right now. So I'll defend him in that way as well. The last one is this. I'm not convinced that in Jared Kelnick's case, it's a pitch recognition issue. My, my understanding and talking to some people is, is that Jared's pretty good at hitting a curveball. He's pretty good at hitting a nasty slider. He's pretty good at a lot of those things. But that there's still some mental and emotional growth that needs to take place in order for him to understand when to do what. It's not so much reading the defense for him, as, as if you're going to go back to your quarterback comp, All as right. it is taking the check down. And understanding and having the maturity not to try to fit to the slow ball the game into, down enough. Well, no, just not to fit, not to be so aggressive, not to fit the ball into every tight window. Just mm. because you've got a great arm, sometimes just hit the open man. 
Mm. Okay, this guy's open 40 yards down the field, but there's two guys around him. Eliminate the gunslinger. Here's a 15-yard. Yeah, I mean, I Eliminate think, the gunslinger. I think there's still a lot of that with him because when you talk to people, and I, I've spent a lot of time asking questions about Jared Kelnick. Yeah, you have. I have. I'm very well, interested in him. My 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 understanding is that his pro- he can hit the slider. He he can hit the best sliders in the game. It's not a question of not being able to handle the soft stuff. It's a matter of understanding how to take an approach to his to his at bat, mm. and that is something that I think can come with maturity and with learning and with coaching. I would be curious how many guys in baseball through their first 500 at-bats have a 33% strikeout rate, and you see that change. Mm. I would be very curious to, to maybe, and maybe in the weeks ahead and maybe on my flight to Peoria, I could do a deep dive, and maybe it's already been done, right? Because I feel like we've had some of these conversations about some of these different prospects, be it Zanino through the years mm-hmm. or, or different guys where you looked at those first 500 numbers and said, huh, okay, can, you, can, can Josh Allen actually improve as a passer? Right, his first 400 passing attempts in the league, Mike, and accuracy. And I said to you, I don't know, man. Uh, accuracy is a, and then he a learned innate. And then he really grew in it. Yeah. I'd be curious how many with a strikeout rate as high as his has been <laughs> through those 500 can actually so, and have actually turned. It's funny. Me. As you're having that conversation, I see a tweet come across here from your friend Mel Kuyper Jr., who I guess is alive, even though he you know, never got back to us a couple weeks ago. Bryce Young, he says, is one of the best processors I've scouted over the past decade. He sees the entire field so Mel, well. So, Mel, yeah. if you're listening, just call in. Just give us a call, call Mel. On, Mel. All right, so we got blown off by Mel a few weeks ago. We got blown off by Colton Wong earlier today, but he's going to join us coming up in 35 minutes at 930, right after a return of an old game, an old game Brock, that we always like to play here on this show. We'll do it next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710 and the Seattle Sports app.